Hey, it's the good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit reminding you that nobody Patreons like we Patreon. So join us at C4FAP and go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and sign up at a level of your choosing. There's various tiers with various goodies for you. Somebody, Something that everyone gets at any level is you get to be a part of our Slack channel community. And you get early and ad-free access to all our episodes. But wait, there's more. So go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and check out all we have to offer. We urge you, sign up today. Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Hugo-nominated writer Karina Beckel. She is here to promote Avatar Adapt or Die. Now, this is a six-part Dark Horse miniseries. Now, please note, Karina's story is a tie-in to the James Cameron's um, Avatar movie that came out in, 20, um, in 2009. And, of course, the sequel of Avatar, The, Way of, the, the Way, Way of Water, I believe that's what it's called, comes out in December. Now, listeners, by the time you, check, you, know, you listen to this episode, issues one and two will be out in your local stores already. And if you're interested in this series, miniseries, please ask your comic shops to reorder the first two issues, or you can buy it off of Comixology. Um, issue three will be out in stores on July 6th. Corina, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing very well. Oh, yes, and thank you very much. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for taking your time to talk to me. Oh, thank you. Now, um, now before I continue, <clears throat> I'm going to let the listeners know that some of the information I got um, for Karina came from um, a podcast, Spoiler Country, that came out last year in January 20 to 2021. And also, Karina, I got some of your information from your website, KarinaBeckel.com. Is that correct? That's right. I, um, I really need to update that thing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now, I'm just going to go over your history. And please feel free to correct me anytime, or if you want to add, and that's fine too. Sure. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Your first comic book series that you wrote was Heathen Town that came out in 2009 from Image slash Shadowline Comics. That's right. It actually came out as a complete graphic novel, which I think is kind of unusual. But uh, at the time, Shadowline especially was doing some kind of risky things. So, okay. And then. Also, too, um, you and your former writing partner, Gabriel Hardman, wrote the following. The highly praised boom series, Planet, Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, yeah. I, I, I'm good. I'm, I've heard so much great things about it. I need to check that out. I really do. So, and also, too, the um, highly praised Invisible Republic. Um, that was a finalist for the 2016 Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story. Um, you also, um, also um, Green Lantern, Earth One, the original graphic um, novel series that's, that only had two books that came out. Mm -hmm. And then also two, um, um, Station to Station by Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. That looks very good. So, and then now also to you have also, um, you also wrote the following. Now you did the, um, let's see, the Expanse miniseries for Boom Studios for a lot from last year. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Okay. That's and then right. also one, yeah. 
I'm sorry. Oh, I'm yes, sorry. that's right. <laughs> oh, okay, and then yeah, this oh, boom. and then you also wrote "Once Upon a Time," um, "Shadow of the Queen." That was from Marvel. And then you also wrote "Aliens," um, the "Aliens Vampirella" crossover that was from Dark Horse and Dynamite Entertainment. And then last year, you also wrote Sensational Wonder Woman number eight. The reason why, listeners, I'm pointing that out is because I love that story. That was a great story. Oh, thank you. That was so much fun. It, mm -hmm. it, what an honor to write Wonder Woman. Like, what oh, a dream. Yeah. That, was, that was, I love that story. It was really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then also, too, you also um, wrote, um, you, um, you have done some um, nonfiction books. You wrote a children's book book um it's called smithsonian dig dig it dinosaurs with brenda scott royce that came out in 2019 <laughs> and then you have um two more um upcoming children's books is that correct yeah that's right uh i wrote one called um 1000 super space facts for the smithsonian which is exactly what it sounds like mm -hmm. and i'm currently working on another dinosaur book which will be a dinosaur fact today for a whole year so 365 dinosaur facts <laughs> that's so cool um i'm gonna may i ask you you know like how did you get the opportunity to work on these science books for children you know i've i have one foot in the science community and one foot in comics so uh, my friend Brenda actually writes a lot of children's books. She's a wonderful writer. Mm -hmm. And when an opportunity came up to do dinosaur book, she knew uh, my other job, my day job is as a fossil preparator, which yes. with the Natural History Museum here in LA. Mm -hmm. And so she told her editor, oh, I have somebody who would probably collaborate really well on this. And mm -hmm. I cannot thank her enough for, for bringing that to her for her attention because that was a great gig. The book comes packaged with a little um, skeleton that you can dig out of some clay and it's really oh, cute. That's so cool. And then um, your, your, one of your latest books, the 1000 Super Science, Super Space Facts. I'm just going to ask, do you know when that's going to come out? Yeah, it should be in the fall. Oh, okay. I believe it might be even a little earlier than that as a Costco exclusive for folks that have a Costco membership. And then after that, it should be wider. So should be around by the holidays. Oh, okay. All right. That's pretty cool. Now I'm going to ask, did I miss anything? I know you have an incredible history of um, work, but did I miss anything? Or is there anything you want to point out? That stands Gosh, out? I, I did write an Alad a book that was a companion to when the Aladdin movie, the most recent Aladdin movie came out. Um, for Disney and uh, what else have I done? I worked on some Tarzan back in the day and uh, I don't know if you mentioned Miss Fury. That was some, one of my favorite books I've written. No. It's called, okay. Yeah, Miss Fury and it was called The Minor Key and that mm -hmm. was a very fun project. Oh, okay, all right. No, thank you very much. Now, um, where can listeners follow you on social media? I'm pretty active on Twitter under mm -hmm. my name, Marina Becco. And I have a Facebook account, which is also under my name, and an Instagram account if you want to see a whole lot of dinosaurs and books. <laughs> this is basically <laughs> what my Instagram is. <laughs> I have to say, I love your, um, I'm only on Twitter. I love your, I love some of the pictures that you post about, you know, just behind the scenes in the museum, like, look at this cool fossil. I, I just oh, have I'm to so say fortunate. I'm so glad somebody appreciates that because I just, I get very excited about fossils and just really want to share them. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, I'm going off the cuff here because no, I understand because, um, um, you know, I, you know, as, like most kids, like, you know, I love dinosaurs and so forth. And whenever I see like literally fossils, like it, fossils that are intact and stuff, it's just, oh my God, you know. It's, it's, it's incredible. And getting to work with them every day, it's, you're literally working with something that no one in the world has seen before as you clean it off, like when it comes out of the ground, like mm -hmm. it's been in the ground for 200 million years and you're the first person to touch it. It's an amazing experience. Yes, I, yes. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just real quickly. It was, oh, where, did, where was it? I want to, it was a museum in Austin. Don't ask me which museum. <laughs> I remember, you know, my friends took me through. So I was like, oh, this is great. This is, yeah. And then we go down to this, this basement area. And oh my God, all these fossils, all these fossils that were either encased in like these huge glass fixtures and stuff. And the unfortunate thing was, I remember there wasn't enough space, but it was all, oh, all like it was just cluttered. But I still remember seeing one of those, <laughs> and I can't remember, one of those big fish, one of those big dinosaur um, sea fish or sea dinosaurs. I, I don't know which ones, but it was. Oh, incredible. yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I think I know exactly what you mean, because I went to a conference at, in Austin for um, paleontology a couple of years back and got to go to that basement level. And yeah. It's an amazing collection. It so is. exciting. I'm glad you got to see that because, oh, what fun. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Oh, sorry. Okay. So I'm sorry. Let's, I'm going to, let's get back on track. Sorry. So <laughs> I'm going to ask, where did you grow up? Uh, Sarasota, Florida, which uh -huh. at the time was a sleepy little Gulf Coast town. And I guess now is, I think there's even a reality television show about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then um, what were your what was your first comic or, or Sunday comics that you read growing up? You know, it's funny. I read, I always read the comics in the paper. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually really liked um, like Prince Valiant. <laughs> like oh, no, yes. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, like the ones that kind of told a story, mm -hmm. but as I got into high school, um, some of my friends had like, Ooh, you could find rarely, but sometimes you could find issues of love and rockets. Oh, so I was uh, very intrigued by those. And um, also Harvey Picard's American Splendor was mm -hmm. something I could rarely find in my little town, but, oh, I loved it. So, Okay, that's cool. Um, and then um, what kind of books did you read while you were growing up? You know, I'm really, I, I love to read. And I'm yes. really just, I cast a wide net. But mm -hmm. especially when I was small, when I was a kid, I really loved science fiction. My dad would, you know, it was a big thing. My dad would take me to the mall bookstore and be like, okay, you finished your book, pick out two more. And he was very um, supportive of that. Mm -hmm. And actually my aunt was also a writer who wrote mostly Westerns, but would sometimes give me like sci-fi and fantasies. So uh, along with the classics, of course. Yes. Yeah. You know, like your normal Dickens or whatever. I, also, mm -hmm. I read a ton of all sorts of science fiction and fantasy. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you, to, uh, I know this is very, a very hard question, but like, you know, who, you know, like who is your favorite writer or writers? Oh, that is so hard. Yes. I, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I love Paul Bowles uh, just because he's so, um, it's a very like sort of sideways way of looking at stuff, very understandable emotions, but sort of tinged with a sort of terrifying edge. Mm-hmm. I also love Shirley Jackson and uh, you know, the, the uh, we have always lived in the castle. is one of my very favorite books. Oh, okay. Great. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask like, how did you get started in writing? Um, now correct me if I'm wrong, because you, I, you wrote short stories and well, of course, and comics as well, but you also wrote short stories as well too, right? Yeah. I, um, I've always loved to read and then, I kind of thought it was something I couldn't do, but then I tried and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'll send some of these off to anthologies or whatever. And they started getting accepted, just little short horror stories mostly. Mm -hmm. And after that, um, I wrote like sort of a, I didn't know much about the comic. Like I'd read comics, but I didn't Mm -hmm. really know how to write a script. Mm -hmm. So I worked with with Gabriel Hartman and, we did Heave in Town, so I kind of wrote it out, not in a very traditional way, but luckily he is an incredibly talented um, mm-hmm. writer and artist and was yes. able to interpret what I was doing. And that was a steep learning curve mm-hmm. <laughs> and made it possible for me to go on and write for other people in ways that were more understandable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And then um, now I'm going to now listeners, because um you know, I follow Karina on um, Twitter. Um, I've listened to some of your interviews. And th- this question, you know, is not out of left field. Because I'm going to ask you, Karina, where did your love for zoology come from? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I've always been just really into the natural world and mm-hmm. animals and how animals interact with their environment. And I always loved uh, dinosaurs from Mm -hmm. like my first memory is going to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. That's my very first memory is the dinosaur hall there. So and crying because my parents said it's time to leave. And I was like three and I don't want to leave the dinosaurs. So um, that just kind of grew into, again, Mm -hmm. something that as a as a woman and as a girl growing up, I thought, oh, you know, because of when I grew up, girls don't really do science. I probably can't do the math. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, I was just like, well, but I really want to. So I yeah. went to school for it. And it turns out, yeah, yeah, I could do science. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so all right. And I'm going to say this is going to, to me, this is kind of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel it kind of ties into that, that, will, that I could be wrong, but it, it, your zoology background sort of kind of, would tie into um, the miniseries Avatar Adapt or Die. And correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, no, absolutely. I think that's true. And I, when that project came up and they approached me about it, I was like, how perfect. Because that, the world, like Pandora, the world yes. of Avatar is almost another character. Yes. Like the animals and the plants. And I mean, not even almost, it is another character. Mm-hmm. So my, and I've thought, a lot about um, sort of different forms of biology and especially like working on Invisible Republic. We talked a lot about how different um, worlds would work and interact with humans. So mm-hmm. it was a, a topic I had thought deeply on mm-hmm. in the past. So it was yeah. really interesting to take that and apply it to somebody else's universe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to get back to like how, you know, when they approach you, I'm going to, but before I do, I want to ask, what is, um, what is your story about? Um, oh, Adapt or Die? Um, it's, it's a early, um, it's a prequel. So before the original movie mm-hmm. and it ties in um, with my favorite character is Grace. And mm-hmm. I was really lucky because they wanted to tell a story about Grace and how it came to pass that she was able to get the school for the children, uh, the local children off yes. the ground mm-hmm. because, you know, obviously there was a lot of drama around that before the, the horrible stuff happened that is referenced in the movie. Mm-hmm. So that is a time period that I had actually wondered about when I saw the movie. And mm-hmm. um, then it turns out that that's the time period they wanted this book set in. So, mm-hmm. I was, Oh, I actually have some ideas for this. <laughs> nice. So, okay. So I'm going to, so, um, I know you said that they, so I'm going to say when you say they, Dark Horse approached you, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. May I ask, like, when did they approach you? How did it come about? It was actually a very easy, um, you know, some things you have to go in and pitch for and whatever. And in this case, I think they had a pretty good idea of what kind of thing they wanted. And it yeah. was between me and a couple of other people. but. Um, I think basically because of my background, mm-hmm. uh, they knew that I would be able to understand some of what they were going for here because it's a story very rooted in the clash of not only ideals mm-hmm. and cultures, but also just of almost of basic biology and what we put out into the world and what we take in. Yes. So that's, um, I kind of had some ideas around that and it was sort of seamless. Like they approached me about it and I was like, Oh gosh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is up my alley. So. Okay. That's so cool. Um, I'm going to ask like, you know, um, how much research, I mean, I mean, you already was already, like you said, you know, when you're watching the movie, you were already trying to, you're already thinking of, uh, you know, how did this come about and so forth. Um, but when dark horse approached you, you know, how much research did you have to do? Did you rewatch the movie or? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> I did that because yes. it had been a while, you know, um, I had seen it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think I had seen it since then. You know, everybody remembers the very striking visuals and everything. Yes. And the characters are very, especially Grace was like, mm-hmm. of course, I remembered her. Yes. But um, yeah, I definitely I immediately rewatched the movie. But the world of it is very integrated, like the games and the other comic books and it's mm-hmm. very much um in the universe and cameron keeps a tight grip on what is something that would belong in that world and what is something that definitely would never happen in that in that world oh okay all right and then um before i, I want to ask this one question before i start getting a little bit more into just process and stuff may i ask what did you love about the avatar movie because I know you talked about. Yeah, this, mm-hmm, sorry. Oh, this will come as a surprise to no one, but uh, I love the idea that there's a whole biome on this world to be discovered. Mm-hmm. And I love that the scientists, and especially like Grace, but the other scientists too in the world of Avatar are really curious about this. And sure, there's the prophet, you know, the, mm-hmm. the folks that are only about the prophet and the unobtainium and all of that, but mm-hmm. um, 
the curiosity of the scientists involved is something I recognize from working at the museum because people here at my work, they love what they do and they would go to the ends of the universe to study what they do. Absolutely. That's so cool. Okay. Um, how, you know, how closely did you work with, now I'm going to try to pronounce this gentleman's name, Joss Izzo from Light, from, I believe it's probably the, the Lightstorm studio of James Cameron, correct? And, yeah, absolutely. And Nicole Spiegel from 20th Century Studios. How closely did you work with them? You know, it was an, it was an interesting process because when we were getting up to speed, I was given a lot of the like Bibles and what have you for the animals, the people, and the machinery, because it's all very exacting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is there are mechanisms to all of these things. They've all been figured out. And uh, there's not a huge amount of room for invention of those types of mm-hmm. things exactly, because mm-hmm. so much of it already exists. Mm-hmm. But making it work in the world is really important. So I had a couple of meetings that were Zoom meetings mm-hmm. with folks from all of these places and Lightstorm and um, my own editors. But after that, and after they knew that, that I had a handle on it, they kind of just let me go oh. and would, um, you know, I did a treatment of detailed outline and mm-hmm. then I just started writing the scripts and I didn't realize that Cameron would actually read the scripts. <laughs> so that was a little bit of like a surprise when they said, oh yeah, it'll take a little, he's, it's taking a little while to get back because he's very busy and he wants to read it. And then I was like, he's reading my words what (laughs) so I was a little starstruck by that but um uh, I didn't speak with him directly but notes would come back that kind of thing not a huge amount actually he was um very generous with with what he allowed me to do with his very um you know his his very beloved uh characters and world so that was a great honor off the cuff question um I know you I could just hear your excitement about hearing about James reading it. I'm I'm off the cuff question. I know you said you didn't get too many notes, but did you get a little notes with something? Oh yeah, just do a minor change or this looks great. JC or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a couple of notes that were just um, kind of like, Oh, I don't. And they were mostly early on because I really tried to take those to heart. Like, yes. Oh, I don't think uh, Grace would quite say this. I think she would do this. And I was like, oh, okay, spot on. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'll get right on that because obviously he knows his characters and his world way better than I do. And it's just, I always feel whenever I'm handed uh, a property, be it like, you know, I did a bunch of work on Star Wars yes. uh, back when it was with Dark Horse or, or if it's, you know, Wonder Woman, whatever it is, I really want it to feel like the world and the characters that people expected to feel yes. like. So that I, I really paid strict attention to. <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm just, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just kind of, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, it, it really shows how James Cameron knows his character. It's not like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that sounds okay. He didn't kind of, yeah, but it's just, no, no you know, he knows right. he knows his characters inside and out, basically. Absolutely. And it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, that man must be very busy. And the fact that he takes the time to read 
the scripts for the comics is yes. really impressive to me because not everyone would do that. Yes, yeah. That is, um, that is, that is so cool. I'm sorry, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, let's, I'm going to, um, I am going to go, um, now, I, I'm just asking, um, you know, with um, Lightstorm and 20th Century Studios and James Cramer looking over your script, you know, I know you said there wasn't too much of wiggle room, but I'm just going to ask, were you able to introduce, like, maybe, like, a new character in the story or, you know? Um, it was a funny thing because I kind of felt like, because it was a prequel, Mm-hmm. I tried to go carefully through, like, I knew there were certain things I wanted, like certain types of animals or plants or, you know, animal plants as the case yes. may be, because this is, of course, Pandora, where such such petty distinctions are maybe not what they are in our own world. Mm-hmm. But I would look and sometimes I would go back and forth with the folks at the studio. And often we could find a character or a plant or animal or whatever that would fit what I needed because it has been so thoroughly worked out. And that was actually really fun because I was like, oh, maybe this particular thing has been in the background of a video game. Yes. And it didn't really have, it was, it was interesting local color, but now it can have a little more of a story to it. So mm-hmm. that was actually a really fun thing for me to do. It's sort of flesh out some of the, the things that we had seen or just glimpsed before. Oh, that sounds so cool! It re- no, it it really does, because it's, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> because, um, and, and I'm I'm be I'm not being sarcastic, but but as you mentioned, that already the world is already laid out for you. The characters in the you know um your story takes is a prequel to this already, and that's great that you you can use the characters from the movies. Go okay, how where were they, you know when Grace was trying to set up the school. Oh, that's so right. And it was an interesting challenge too, because of course there's not exactly time travel in Avatar, but there is the long time it takes to get back and forth to Pandora. Mm -hmm. So figuring out where characters were at the time was interesting because there were some people that I thought, Oh, I'll use them. And it's like, well, you can't because they were obviously on en route during this period. (laughs) Oh, okay. so there are a lot of a lot of moving parts when uh, working with with stories that are still actively being um, written in other forms you know? <laughs> okay so um and this part here I'm, I'm being serious you know um were you allowed to give avatar fans a taste of what the sequel might be you know such as i know like you said you've you know like in some in a video game or in a comic book mm-hmm. or even in the movie there may be something in the background you brought to to this story but what about like um were you able to are you able to give or did they allow you to did um the studios and were they allowed to did they allow you to to um give avatar fans a taste of what's coming up like say for example um you know, since it's going to be in Pandora's oceans, like, are we going to see like a, a new species of like of a dolphin or a whale or something? <laughs> um, they actually wanted me to stay away from that stuff uh-huh. as much as possible. So in this story, instead of going towards that area, we actually go towards a different 
part of Pandora that we haven't seen before. So you will see new areas, mm -hmm. just not the coast and the ocean. It's going to be highlands and mm -hmm. some areas that look very different and have some very different flora and fauna. Mm -hmm. But um, since the world is so big, they wanted me to explore something different than what would be seen in the movie so that people wouldn't just, you know, oh, there it is again. Oh, yeah. No, but that makes sense. Oh, but kind of expand the world instead yeah, of, you know. It, <laughs> but but it's pretty cool that um you know um for in some in some sense, I mean again, it's nice that they already have this Bible um and they're really kind of to me they they really know how to use the full media of everything. Like the movies will focus, you know, the sequel will focus on the water, but in the comics because since you know, it's going to take another 10 years before we make another movie or something. I want you to focus Absolutely. on this part, you know, where we're never going to see in the, you know, in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, I, I love how they do that. I mean, it's, it's nice that they've actually thought about it. And in, uh, when I worked on the expanse yes. too, they were very um, paying attention to the details and the people involved in the show actually were paying attention to the comics. And I really like it when, uh, company or a person or whoever controls the property cares that much because yeah. it, it kind of makes me upset when people are like oh it's just comics like mm -hmm. no this is a, a medium for telling a story that's just a different it's a different medium mm -hmm. and it's very um heartening to me when when the people behind the scenes take an interest in that level you know <laughs> yes it is yeah um how much of your zoology background help you enhance the story? Like, you know, um, and I, I think you already touched on some of the answers, but like, were you able to create scenes on how um, some of the um, creatures on Pandora, the wildlife, live in the forest or hunt or, you know? You know, it's funny. I mean, I don't know how much of it is apparent on the page because on the page, it's like, it's a story that goes forward and you only have, you know, the number of pages in a single issue to get yes. the entire story out, including the emotions of the people and all of that. Mm -hmm. But behind the scenes, just yes. for me personally, it helped a huge amount because I was constantly thinking about how would the environment interact with the avatars and mm -hmm. the humans and what would that mean for how big the Navi were compared to the humans and mm -hmm. what do what the humans are doing to the landscape, how that would actually affect the yes. animals and the plants and the mm -hmm. water and the water that was being drinking, drunk by the animals. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think, I don't know if this is something that probably everybody kind of thinks like this, but I think about this all the time mm -hmm. in my job, in my yes. work, mm -hmm. in, in my writing. So mm -hmm. I think it helped a lot actually. No, it does because, um, because um, in the first issue, I love there's that there's two panels where um, correct me if I'm wrong. The main one of the main characters, Grace, um, mm -hmm. she's uh, she's and I, they're at the school. She's trying to teach. I think showing the kids the school. The I know they had a basketball, and you know, and and I think she pointed out to them, look, you know, life is growing back over here. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, next thing you see is the human stomping on. <laughs> <laughs> the, on, on a on a probably one on probably like uh, an important um an important key plant life, and I was like, wow, you know, 
Yeah, it's funny. It's like uh, stuff like that. I mean, I guess it's sort of an obvious metaphor, but it's also something that I've actually seen happen in in life. Like I do field work every summer mm-hmm. and we work out in the desert and plant life out in the desert is very robust in the fact that, you know, in the way that it can grow in very harsh conditions, but it's fragile in that it takes a long time and it's hard. It's a hard life to be a plant out in the desert. Mm-hmm. And some of the, the plants, you can't even really understand their plants. There's this stuff called the crust on the desert. That's like mm-hmm. the little algae kind of stuff that lives in the soil and it mm-hmm. creates a kind of a mat and one of the things that we always tell each other is don't bust the crust you're not supposed to walk over where the crust is because mm-hmm. it looks like you're just walking on a more i don't know solid part of the sand but what you're really doing is stomping over something that's taken decades to grow and is keeping the soil in place and mm-hmm. allowing the little cactuses to grow there and um it's all interconnected but if you didn't know it, you wouldn't know it, and you'd just stomp it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> okay. But, but again, it, like the thing I like is about how your thought process, how everything is affected, how, you know, it, 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 how everything is affected, how what we do, and so forth. Oh. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I'm going to continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you team up with your artist? Um, now, correct me if Benny Lobo? I believe that's right. We have communicated only through um, social media and email. Uh-huh. So I'm hoping that uh, that's how I've been saying it. I hope that's uh-huh. correct. I actually just got super lucky with that because Dark Horse arranged the whole team. Oh, okay. And when I saw his pages, I was blown away. It yes. looks so amazing it really does um um you know listeners you know it really does because i you know i read the first issue um and it it's um i i know this kind of sounds i i know and, um but i um but the navi looks almost exactly how, like how they are in the movies right they really do and the likenesses like you can tell that Sigourney Weaver like that is it's so good yes and also to um the other character human character I want to say Giovanni Ribisi you know it's like I mean he has the mask on because he's outside you know outside in the atmosphere but you can tell the facial feature I mean it's not exact but you can tell it's yeah that's you know that's you know it's Giovanni Ribisi's character and from the movie Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he did a, such a good job and with the such detailed work too. Like that could not be easy to bring Pandora to life because there's just little bits of interesting things in every corner. You mm-hmm. know? Yes. And then I, I'm just going to ask, do you, do you want to give a shout out to the other creators on the book? or? Sure. Yeah. The colors are Wes Dzioba, I mm-hmm. believe that's how you say, um, which are amazing and just spot on again it's so important to have the art and the color look like mm-hmm. the films and just it's amazing that he was able to capture that because the films are so vibrant and i think that's one thing people really remember about mm-hmm. about the films so. and a letterer is michael heisler mm-hmm. also amazing talent and mm-hmm. the covers i just um absolutely in love with that's mark Molchan mm-hmm. and um just 
every time I saw a cover reveal, I was like, yes, this <laughs> is this is what I pictured. This is what I what I wanted to see. And oh my gosh, they reflect what I wrote. Wow. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is so cool. Um, what were some of the cool responses you got from your other writer friends um, when they heard that you're writing this series? Oh, it's actually really funny because um, my one of my very closest friends is actually Brenda, who I wrote the, the first dinosaur book with. Mm -hmm. And I told her and she was like, oh my gosh, I want to see that again. And so I was like, okay, well, it'd be more fun if we watched it together. And we actually watched it with her mom, who had never seen it before. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it was a great thing because to watch it with someone that hadn't seen it before, who was, um, her mom loves animals and uh, is really interested in, in science and stuff. Mm -hmm. And just to see her wonder as she discovered the world for the first time was really inspirational for me to go ahead and start writing after that to see how someone could react to the world that hadn't seen it before. So. That is so cool. Now, I'm just joking on this part. In your contract with Dark Horse to write this, this Avatar miniseries, did you include to get tickets to attend the world premiere? The sequel when it comes you know, out? I was so tempted to do that, but um, uh, no, I, I was just so happy to, to get to write it that I didn't, although, it's kind of funny, um, through my work just now, I got to go to the premiere of Prehistoric Planet, and I was like, you know, it's not that different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Um, all right, I'm going to slowly wrap things up. Um, now, you mentioned that you are a, um, you work as a, I'm going to check, fossil pre preparator? Is that correct? Preparator, yeah. Preparator, prep, uh, prep, sorry. <laughs> you can call me a possible prepper. That's fine. <laughs> now, how did you get this awesome job? You know, it's funny. I always wanted to do something like this. I've always wanted to be, uh, have a job in paleontology. And I started volunteering just as a floor volunteer at the Natural History Museum. And there was a little bit of nepotism because I mm. used to work as a zookeeper. And one of my closest friends at the time, she worked as a zookeeper at the LA Zoo. And one of her volunteers was the volunteer coordinator at Natural History Museum. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she mentioned to the volunteer coordinator over here that her good friend, Corina, really wanted to work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So uh, she did get me an interview with the folks in the fossil lab. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I was placed there because of who I knew, but I did get the interview because of who I knew, I have yeah. to admit. So. But after I talked to them for a while, they, they gave me a shot as a volunteer. And I just loved it so much. Mm -hmm. And I just hung around and hung around until they started paying me. So <laughs> now I'm full time here doing that. That is so cool. Okay. <laughs> um, what is the most fun or exciting thing that you love about writing? About writing, ah, you know, it's funny. I know a lot of, it's a common thing to say that uh, writing is hard, having written is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. Um, mm -hmm. It's a really hard job in many ways, even though I know people are like, what, you just get to sit there and make up stories, but, and that's true. Mm -hmm. But um, I actually love that I have a body of work that I can see on a shelf 
and that I can look at that and go, yeah, I did this. It's really nice to, to be able to have an object that you can hold in your hands that you created. That's so cool. Thank you very much for answering and that. Of course, I, I should say yes, not just me, the whole team uh, mm-hmm. with the comics. I'm, I'm not trying to take ownership. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a collaborative process, but, mm-hmm. but you know, something that you worked on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So um, do you have a favorite convention moment, whether it as a fan um, or as a creator? Oh gosh. Um, one time years ago, I was at San Diego Comic-Con mm-hmm. as a fan mm-hmm. and I was going somewhere in a hurry and somebody almost, he almost ran into me, kind of, kind of elbow checked me, mm-hmm. turned around and said, sorry, and kept rushing. And it, I looked and I was like, oh my God, that was Harvey Picar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. Those little moments that you can get. I actually really miss those during the pandemic where you just never know who you're going to run into at a mm-hmm. con. It's, it's nice. You can't have those kind of moments online. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, do you have an, do you, I, I know we're still in a pandemic and conventions are slowly restarting again. Do you have a, um, do you, um, are you going to be appearing at a convention or a store signing appearance sometime in the near future? Ah, uh, gosh, I don't have anything for certain coming up. I'm hoping to go to Emerald City. Hmm. I think I will probably have a table there if, you know, COVID willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I recently did a signing for Things for Another World at Universal City Walk. So it's not like I'm opposed to doing such things. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of a slow restart, but I do really miss them. So uh, if anybody listening wants to invite me to a convention, I am more than happy to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And then um, have you or your family have you know, been to Hawaii? Yes, actually, I love Hawaii. I've been to Kauai only, mm-hmm. but um, I would love to go to the Big Island and see the volcanoes. Oh, my God. I think you would love the Big Island because... Oh, I'm certain. No, because I think you would love the... Um, what is it called? I think there's like the... Um, you, you would be able to, you're probably, you, you, it's my understanding is that the Big Island is the, in the, in the Hawaiian Islands, is the only one that has like the three or three or four different um, temperature or climate differences. You know, you have the ocean, oh. and the beach, and I can't even, I can't remember the other ones. But then, you know, because we also have um, Mauna Loa where the telescopes are, you know, where That's it snows, right. you know, and you have See, everything should- in between. I should go there. Like that should be that. It, well, it's on my bucket list, but I should probably um, make this happen because mm-hmm. you're, you're totally right. Like I, all the things I'm fascinated in are right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then also to, you know, if you have time to do excursions on the islands, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's excursions that will talk you, that will talk about the native plant life, how it's, you know, and, and the Hawaiian culture is all, again, it's, you know, tied into, um, this, this kind of like cycle of life, you know, you know, how oh, we absolutely. the earth, the grounds and so forth. Yes. Yeah. When I was, when I went there, I did try to look into a little bit of the Hawaiian culture, which I was really ignorant of, I'm sorry to say, but mm-hmm. I tried to learn a little bit and I was blown away by how rich and vibrant and 
yes. what it entailed. And you, you always hear tourist stuff. And then to learn about that, I was like, oh my gosh, how could I not know this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, last question. Any closing words to our listeners? Oh gosh. Um, just thank you for, for listening. And um, if you happen to pick up Avatar, Adapt or Die, I hope you enjoy it. All right. Karina, you know, I wish you all the success with this miniseries, Avatar, Adapt or Die. And also, too, your, um, your um, upcoming book, um, the um, 1000 Super um, Space Facts, that's going to be coming out um, um, sometime later this year. So I wish you all the success with, all, you know, with, your, with your work. Um, and I want to say mahalo. Thank you for your time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview. Thank you very much. Mahalo. Thank you. Now, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out Avatar Adapt or Die. Um, again, you know, um, when this interview goes up, the first, six, first two issues are out in stores right now. Issue three comes out on July 6th. And also, too, check out later this year um, the 1000 Super um, Space Facts that's um, going to be coming out, yes, sometime later this year. Um, I want to thank Drew, the co-sub comics for fun and profit for putting this episode together. Um, Drew, thank you for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of comics for fun and profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listener. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode until next time, guys. Aloha. Prepare yourself for dork day afternoon, a brand new actual play podcast. New performers. Oh, that's fun. The brainchild of two brothers, spawned from their desire to crush the fictional hopes and dreams of their friends and loved ones. You remember what I said about being a, a monster of a GM? Someone has to be a monster, and the GM's the one who probably should be. Two shows every week. On Mondays, coming to you from the end of the world, two past midnight, a Twilight 2000 4th edition campaign. As if being in prison was a surprise enough. War is hell, gentlemen. And on Thursdays, the circus comes to town with Encore of the Lost, a playthrough of the Extinction Curse AP, written for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Failure to know! What is it, pumpkin? I'm looking at pumpkins! Roll for initiative. Natural 20 for a total of 24. 25. F*** you. <laughs> <laughs> Dork Day Afternoon. Listen, your life might just depend on it.